We're going to have to move a little faster, but we have all day, so we'll go back over some of this. Uh, hopefully, it'll be helpful. Anyway, this is the stairs going downstairs. Another feature of a good country home that's wood heated, in our opinion, you got to have a basement. I asked, uh, as I was coming through Texas here, I stopped and talked to a real estate agent just for fun to find out, anybody live in the country around here, how much land costs, and what do you do for water and all that. It was, it was two or three hundred miles uh, west of here. One thing he said is that in 11 years of doing real estate, he'd sold one house with a basement in Texas. Now, you folks that are all Texans, maybe you can explain that to me later. I don't know. But if you're going to heat a house, the cold air, there will be cold air. You know, those great big windows in our front, we pay for that because that's cold. When it's 20, 30 below zero, those windows are, are double paned. They're insulated, but still, it's really cold right next to them. That cold air is going to come down. It's going to puddle at the lowest place. And that's my living room floor, unless you do something else. You need a basement. But you don't need a full basement. People made that mistake. If you have a full basement, it's, you're heating a whole other house. So the cool air that collects in the house from wherever, we have several places. But one of the main ones, it flows down these steps. And it's heading for the heater. That way it doesn't puddle on your main floor. Now at the, at the bottom... Yeah. I was just going to say in Texas you may not need it so much for heat, but it is a <coughs> wonderful cool area. Also, um, I realize your ground temperature is much warmer here, but it is a cool area and then it does have a lot of uses that you can use, but I don't know, maybe Texas has other reasons they don't have. I mean, we'll show you here in a minute, but we have a, a beautiful root cellar down here. And that's another reason you need a basement. But at the bottom of the steps, if you turn left, can't see the door, that goes into the furnace room. Separated, the, the, the uh, door to the right is a recreation room downstairs. And it looks kind of like that. And Linda laid all that rock, too. And Rochelle laid half of it. <laughs> I'll give her well, credit. She did. No, I've learned this. You teach your children to do things. And then they turn around and teach you how to do even better. And that's how it's worked with Rochelle. It's fantastic. <laughs> Linda and Rochelle are very artistic. Uh, it took them a long time. I'm not the mason, but I'm the hod carrier. <laughs> I lug the stones. I mix the concrete. Uh, they do the important work. But this wall, and I'll talk a lot more about this in building your own home, this wall's a foot thick because most rocks don't come in nature <laughs> just nice and flat and straight and perfect and they make diamond saws you can cut everything and they make fake rock that's all two inches thick and all that sort of stuff if you just want to use native rock and it's beautiful rock has a lot of color and so on they vary from two or three inches up to eight inches and so the back and the, all the nicest looking sides and the flattest sides are here the back of them looks like this you know I'm exaggerating but it's all like that so you build a wall behind that, a form, with, reinf with reinforcing rod. And then when the rock wall's up a ways, you pour concrete behind that, and the rocks are then poured into a wall. It makes it super strong. And outside of that wall is foam, and I have a piece of it in the back for those who aren't familiar. It's variable foam. It insulates it away from the ground and the outside cold, and that wall, again, helps heat that rec room because it gets warm and it just stays there. Well, our, our ground, the, the question was, how do, why do we need to insulate our basement? Our ground is 40 degrees year-round there. That's what our spring water is. That's how we know what the ground temperature is. Now, in this country, 
maybe somebody can tell me what's what's the temperature in down 10 feet in the ground around here year round does anybody know it's seven degrees in the 50s in the 50s well you're like 15 degrees warmer than we are we're trying to heat this to room temperature and so 40 degrees is better than 30 below which is outside but it's still 40 and it would just suck all the heat out of that wall instantly because the ground's everywhere. So we insulate it with two inches of foam. It's like about 15, um, 12 to 15 R value. And then it stays nice and warm and it's not losing much heat because you are working against 40. And it works, and there's no windows in it either. The, our kids used to call it the dungeon, but I thought it looked all right. Now this is just in the other door and this is a little fuzzy picture and there's a lot going on here. We're going to talk about this in depth in the utility section. That's our wood heater right in the foreground on the left. It's something we designed ourselves. It's a simple rectangular box. It's two feet by two feet by two and a half feet. It's made out of solid quarter inch plate steel. It's reinforced on the inside so it won't buckle and, and whatever. All you do is you buy a barrel kit, if you know what that is, down at your hardware store. It's a, it's a kit that's designed to go on an old barrel to make a quickie stove. We just throw the legs and stuff in the shop, don't use them, but the door is cast iron, so it won't warp. That, and it has a slider on it for air. That's what's, you can't really see it. I'll show you in the other pictures later. That's what's on the front, so that's your door. Then it has a flue coming out. That heats our whole house with a little aid from Linda's kitchen stove and the fireplace and so on. That's where it all starts. Above it, in that insulated box, is another quarter-inch steel uh, hot water heater that we designed ourselves. And the flue from this is eight-inch well casing, which is really thick steel. It is welded right through that water tank. So when you heat, you get hot water instantly, automatically. We have all the hot water we want. In fact, in the winter, we have so much I'll tell you later, it, we circulate it. We have a little stone hot tub in our bedroom. I mean, you know, you got hot water coming out your ears. It's wonderful. And it's free. That's the, that's the nice thing about it. Uh, the stove at the top, it comes out and goes straight into that walkway at the top. You can't see it right now. Past that is Linda's, we have an automatic washer, and it runs off our little hydro plant. You can see the end of the chute there coming down from outside. So that's where you drop the wood. It comes in. Often that whole side is stacked with wood. The furnace room is small. It's only about 9 by 11. And if you try to heat a whole basement, we know some friends who tried that in the North Fork. They had a smaller home burned over twice the wood that we do because they're heating the whole basement. You don't really need to heat the whole basement. You want to heat a furnace room that's really warm. And then up the top above that little wood box, you see a chute going in. That's a foot by 4 feet. That's where the hot air goes that's being generated by the stove into the living room. And you didn't see it because in that living room photo, there was a nice little planter with flowers and stuff. That's to disguise the flue. And, and it comes out right where the cold air from the window's coming down. Um, hot air goes up and it comes back through that stairway and so on. Now, this room is foot thick walls also, but most of it's stone. So it's very inexpensive, but behind it's foam because we're trying to insulate this. Above it is a poured concrete ceiling, and that's the floor of the living room. <coughs> but then you have a door. The reason we have two doors is it's going into our root cellar. And if you have a root cellar that's just walled off in your basement, it will be too warm. And your flour and stuff and beans will start to go bad. We've had that happen to a lot of neighbors around, some neighbors that we know. 
what you do instead is don't dig that part out. That's an earth berm. It's like six feet wide of solid ground. It's insulated here. The rest of the root cellar is not insulated. It's built right into the hill. So you get that 40 degree cold and you have almost like a walk-in refrigerator. It, it's wonderful. So you close the two doors, of course, normally. And this is in the first room. We have two rooms in the root cellar. The first room houses most of the uh, canned jars of fruit and we do some vegetables but mostly fruit, the vegetables, we do have freezers. You'll see that we freeze most of that, and berries we freeze, but uh, we also have the root crops are on the right-hand side, and the boxes, we have potatoes and carrots. Well, carrots, a lot of times we put in the boxes you see at the end of the walkway. Uh, it has onions that we keep through the winter. Um, and we'll show you Beats. this in a lot of detail when we in our Alpine Gardening one, how you not only grow food, but how you preserve it so you can have a year-round food supply. The second room is like that, and it has, it's a little colder here. They're just open. We have two freezers. One's quite large, but they just run on our little hydro system. And the reason they can run, and, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to go through this real quick, but there's a lot more detail how this works. Typically, uh, homes, even in the south, I think, may have problems with this, but up north, anywhere across the United States, there's three big problems in, a, in all homes in the United States in the north. It's cold, so everybody shuts all the windows and doors and all that sort of thing, so it gets stuffy. And because you're heating, however you're heating, it dries the air out in your home and you're not moving a lot of air. Um, so the, the air gets dry, so people get kind of a scratchy throat. It's too dry, and so the solution is you run to Walmart and get a humidifier right and it takes more power and then your root cellar if you have one basements tend to be damp so people are running dehumidifiers down there and more power more expense I mean this is the way it goes um, so here's the solution to all three of those problems you build a root cellar into your hill on the north side and right up behind the cabbage there is where that little vent goes out that I talked about where the little screen because outside. outside, because if you don't have a hole in your house, the warm air in your house is going to try to go up and out every crack it can, wherever it can. And the cold air, it has to be replaced, is going to come in around the lower cracks, around all your doors. So people are, even the power companies will pay you to go around what? Air, you know, weather strip, everything, just keep all the fresh air out. Well, your house gets stuffy. Then they'll sell you an exchange system costs a ton of money and a whole lot more electricity to solve that. Well, here we have, we would have a damp root cellar, we'd have a stuffy house, and it needs humidity. So what you do is you, you put that little vent up there. You leave it open. All, every little crack, because you can't seal everything upstairs, now what happens, it's warm, the air goes out rather than coming in. So you don't get cold drafts. And every wood appliance in the house sucks some combustion air, causes a slight vacuum in the house, sucks air. Instead of coming in around your windows and doors, it comes in this vent because it's wide open. As it comes in, it's cold. Cold air can't hold much moisture, so it's dry naturally. First thing it does, it's heavy because it's dry. It drops right past your freezer. Keeps the freezer from coming on much because the cold air is pouring in there. As it comes through the root cellar, it warms up to about 40, 45 degrees. It can hold more moisture, so it sucks all the moisture out of your root cellar. You see any mold? It's dry as can be in there. It now flows under those two doors and heads for the heater. 
but now it's humidified air and it's warmed air and it's fresh air and what doesn't go in the heater is heated goes up through your whole house and finally out some little crack somewhere so the upstairs gets fresh ventilated air that's been humidified and you got a dry root cellar and it's all natural no fans no pumps no thermostats nothing if you just we did it all wrong in our mistake house and we learned and that's how you do it right and it works wonderfully how do you keep your vent from getting uh, covered over by snow because it's under a four foot eave of the house in those rare times when we might get four or five feet of snow it could we get no wind uh, we'll talk about that later too in a mountain valley you get almost no wind because the mountains block it so we don't have drifting I've, I think maybe once had to clean a little snow out. What are in the bear, um, buckets? What happens in the summer? Do you have to close that? Um, yeah. A couple of questions here, but we'll try to do them quickly. Uh, somebody asked about what the buckets are. Linda, you can talk oh, about that. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> buckets on their size there with the lids, those are dried beans, rice. Um, then there are some, I think they're more like a four-gallon bucket. You can see on the edge here, this side is full of, of those type of buckets which have dried goods like flour, uh, different kinds flour. of flour. I have oats down there, you know, anything that I'm storing and it keeps for a long time because we're below 60 degrees usually. 60 degrees is where you start having problems with hatching bugs. <laughs> yeah. And so and we've had we that don't happen have that problem. Yeah, if you don't have it, cool enough, which this never gets above 50 um, down here, even in the summers when it is warmer outside. Uh, we don't have problems with that. It's actually, it can get up in the dead of summer when it's in the 80s outside. It can get to 55 just for a short time and then starts to go down again. And that works perfect. We've never had any trouble uh, with bugs and so on. Somebody else had a question? About the vents. Whether you close the vent during oh. the summertime. No, we usually don't because it's so cold at night, it's in the 40s. In our valley, every night is in the 40s in the summer, except for maybe five. We'll creep above 50. Um, that's unheard of, I know of down here, but that's the way it is, and it's in very low humidity, so we leave it open. Now, if it stays up for a long time, I might close it a little bit. If it gets 30 or 40 below zero, and this isn't wind chill, this is temperature, then I usually close it because it's like a quarter horse fan, just blowing air because it's so cold the difference. We don't need that much cold. But even at that, it won't freeze the root cellar, but it would freeze that cabbage. And the reason the cabbage is there, we've learned, and this will all be in alpine gardening too, of how to preserve food. Cabbage are difficult to preserve because they tend to mold on the outside. They want it basically 32 degrees, even 31 degrees because they have so much sugar in there, they won't freeze. And if you can keep them virtually right at freezing, um, they'll be fine. So that's why we put them there, and that's where the coldest air is coming in. And that's cabbage we grew in the garden. A lot more in the root cellar later. I just have like three or four pictures of building the house, and I have a whole section on building it in how to build your own home. So just be real quick. This is the root cellar before it was done, of course. We dug the whole basement by hand, and you may think we're crazy. <laughs> Can't do that. We saved thousands and thousands of dollars and many other things. <clears throat> Our soil's full of rocks. So as we dug, we just put it in wheelbarrows, we sorted the rocks. 
the ugly but nice strong ones went into retaining walls for that uh, root cellar because it was going to be poured right into the hill. Behind it you see where the furnace room would be in the rec room and that's where we put the foam. Uh, any pretty, really pretty rocks we kept and those are the ones that you saw in the rec room and all that that we used. And we got some from other places too. The dirt was wheeled off and made a hairpin turn in our road going up to Ted and Rochelle's place that we really needed. So it left the pile you see there is just going to backfill around. It left nothing in our front yard to get rid of. Otherwise, if you have a cat or a big, they're going to dump it all over the place. And when you get done, you're going to have a big bill to landscape if you want any lawn left. And all. I mean, it's a mess. And we're on a hillside. We didn't have a lot of places to put it. So it worked well for us. And that allowed us just to dig the parts we want. And now you can see where the little berm was between the root cellar and so on. Um, this is Rudy. He was a great help. We, we didn't hire any help, but he was a neighbor. Uh, I helped him too, but he helped me a lot more um, than I did. We poured all Rudy our own Hall. concrete. Rudy Hall. Mm -hmm. Rudy Hall, yes. Wonderful guy. They live in Michigan today. Um, this is... This is the rock crew. I don't know where Rochelle is because she helped a lot on that too, but uh, there we are laying rock and we would go up, I think Jerry maybe explained, just a couple feet at a time so that we could get those rocks to balance and sometimes we had to uh, put uh, two by fours there to help stabilize them till they dry and the mortar would set. But once the mortar was set, uh, then we'd go ahead and do the pour behind. And we'll do a lot more on that yeah. here in a little bit. And then, of course, we framed on top of that. Uh, we will talk about this in family business. We ran a small independent academy for years at our place because we were teachers. And I'll tell you how we started. Uh, and the kids had a work program, but they only worked two hours a day. And they were very helpful lifting walls and so on, but they weren't carpenters. I can tell you that. Uh, and they created about as much work as they did. But they were wonderful kids. And they learned a lot, I think, some of them, and how you built, because when we were running the school full-time, so when we were building this house, it wasn't like we were living on our place and we're multimillionaires and anything to do. We were working full-time, too. I taught all morning and so on. So it was a fight to get this house built in one season, because our season in Montana is very short. We started pouring concrete in May, and the snow came probably 1st of November, <clears throat> and we had just gotten it roofed and enclosed. I mean, you got to... Away. Anyway, here we're building Rochelle's bedroom. Rochelle's on the left there. We didn't use any cranes. We didn't use any great alls. Uh, no backhoes. Never had a cement truck. Uh, any of that stuff. We did it the old-fashioned way. And the beams, <coughs> I did not mill myself. I did for the solarium, I'll show you, because uh, we had to go a little faster. But they came from a family mill just on the other side of the mountain, so they're very inexpensive, and it helped them. And here we're lifting them into place. This is what it looked like when we just got it roofed and the snow came. Um, now, when you get snow like this and a lot more, as you saw in that one picture with uh, Chloe, you need a secure fuel supply. And I think the day will come when you're not going to be able to get wood from the National Forest or anywhere else. You're not going to be able to buy it. You need a wood supply on your own place. And so we bought a place that had a good forest. And you need enough forest on your own place to, to have the fuel you need. Now here in Texas, you'd need less land, I think, for fuel because it's warmer. 
but you're still going to need something for your hot water and to cook your food and it does need a little heat in the wintertime. We need more heat. So don't buy land that's denuded of trees. Just flat farmland. It might grow a lot of food, but you're not going to have any heat. Uh, <clears throat> and we bought land that had a mature forest. Some of these trees are four or 500 years old, which is very unusual. Uh, we don't cut those. They're beautiful. Occasionally one will fall over in a windstorm or whatever, and then we use it. But around it, it has all kinds of little trees. Linda's standing there next to our largest one. We call that Methuselah. Uh, it's 500 years old, but behind it are a lot of little trees. We, we cut all the little ones, the crooked ones, the diseased ones, the ones that are too thick. And when you get done, it looks more like this. And this is one of our, this by the way, is that road fill that we dumped all the road from our, our dirt from our basement. It goes on up the hill to Ted and Rochelle's place. But you thin out and you have a beautiful forest. It's safer, it's healthier. and all the wood ends up in a woodshed, and you notice it's mostly small because we're not cutting the big trees, so you don't have to split it. That woodshed is right next to our house, but we try not to put our outbuildings right by the house. We try to keep it a little bit more attractive that way. This is probably 70, 80 feet away in the woods a little bit, but that holds two years' supply. So you're not going to run out of wood. In fact, we can heat our entire house with for heating for about five cords in the whole Montana winter and that's softwood. You have, you folks down here have a lot better deal because you've got hardwood. It takes less wood. All wood produces the same heat per pound but not per volume. And pine burns fine, some of its fur, so on. Now good, good uh, homesteads gotta have a good water supply and we believe it's important to have some flowing water on your place if you can. If you can't, you can pump water, but no self-respecting pioneer would ever bought land where the well was 700 feet deep. Or I don't know, maybe some of you had it, but you're gonna take a lot of electricity and if anything goes wrong someday, especially if you can't get parts then or it's hard, where are you gonna get the water? So try to get water at least has a shallow but very pure well. Flowing stream is fine, but gravity springs we found are best because they're clean, they're pure, no pumps, nothing. It saves you an enormous amount of money down the line not having to drill wells and pumps and electricity and all that. And there are, I understand <coughs> today, a lot better machinery, pumps, whatever, available than there used to be a few years ago. Everything in you know, off the grid living is that way from when we started out wanting to do this. It's amazing, the improvement. And so, you know, <laughs> if a well is how you need to go, uh, that's another whole area we haven't really spent much time in. But if you do research, I think you'll find And under independent utilities, we'll talk about how you can pump water without using fuel and so on if you need to do that. This is one of our springs. We have three major spring sources on our place and they don't come out in your nice little bubbly spring out of the rock. They seep out of the hill over an area. In this case it's about 40 feet long and we dug this all by hand of course because it's on the hillside. It's 80 feet above the valley. <clears throat> I didn't want to have to build a road down there to get a backhoe in there and, and if you use heavy machinery in springs you can sometimes plug them up because they really pack it good. 
And anyway, I'll talk more about how you build a, a really good spring system. But at the end, you see the little intake. This one actually is designed to just, and it pr produces power. It, this is another one. This is a higher spring. It's a littler one. This actually serves our house. That's all we need. And some people are aghast. You don't have a <laughs> tank and you don't have a cover. I mean, you're going to get sick. No, you don't get sick. There's 10,000 gallons a day come out of that spring. It washes anything away, and it's beautiful, pure, soft water. And most of it overflows through the moss there and goes down to a reservoir that feeds us with power. You could put a cover there, but we never have, and it works wonderful for us. It's only from there. It's only like 150 feet to the house, but it's down enough that you have pressure. Do you filter it? <coughs> What's that? Do you filter it? No. I don't know if, well, there's a screen there, <coughs> but not microfilter. There was a neighbor that took some <coughs> from these same springs. You're stealing um, my thunder for later. Oh, later, he says. Sorry. Yeah, I got to tell you that story <laughs> later. It's about a neighbor who had this water tested. It's wonderful. Sorry. Anyway, this represents about four or five of our springs have come together to make this little stream. That's a tiny stream. You can see the size of the rocks. It's probably a foot across and where it's actually flowing, it may be an inch or so deep. That's not a lot of water. That amount of water will creates all our power, waters our gardens, all our houses and everything. That's maybe half of what we have, but a, a good section of what we have comes out lower and we can't really catch it and do anything. But I, I just, if you're out looking for land, you don't need a huge wide thing. All you need is a little bit of water. Okay. Uh, from the springs, you can see going. our property goes clear to the top of the hill, but the springs come out a little over halfway down, and we've just laid pipes up to them, to those reservoirs, and it's piped down. And again, all the, the ditches were dug by hand because you don't have to put them that deep, and the reason you don't is it's spring water, and so you just let it run a little bit year-round. It never freezes, even in Montana. Part of the reason is we, we cover it with sawdust and then the soil, and I don't want you to think that's how rocky our soil is. All the rocks down to gravel size were picked out of that by hand and used somewhere else so we wouldn't be damaging our pipes when we backfill. Um, but you don't have to do that because the springs are 40 degrees year-round, and so they, they run. If we didn't have that situation, we would have to dig probably five, six feet to be sure. It all goes down to a little powerhouse and makes a little pond down there. The powerhouse is built into the hill so it won't freeze. It's like a kind of a miniature root cellar. This is what it looks like inside. I have one of these water turbines in the back, just the turb, the runner. I, I couldn't bring the whole thing. It was too bulky. Those are utterly simple. They're only about this big around. They have one moving part uh, in the middle. All the wiring doesn't move brushless. All that moves is a permanent magnet in the middle and those two together produce all the power we need even when we had up to 10 young people living with us in our school. Uh, I had to teach them how to turn off lights because they didn't come with that skill but we I run shop tools. Oh, Here's the this is a that's what's in those in the white part that's all there is in there. Isn't very much. It's a Pelton turbine water just hits those spins this and produces electricity. It's wonderful. Um, we have two of them for redundancy. One will actually run our place, but we use usually nozzle in each one. Um, the power just goes into a set of deep cycle batteries. Those last about 10 years for us. Less if you're on solar because you're deep cycling them. 
into a little solid state inverter, which produces normal household power. And then from there, it's underground conduit we laid just in the ground, not very far, kind of with our water lines. Goes up to the house, over to our classroom and shop, and over to the boys' bunkhouse that became a cottage. So you don't have any wires dangling around through the woods or anything like that. Um, and I've never had a inverter go bad. I've upgraded when I thought we needed a bigger one. They work wonderfully because they're solid state. And the result is you have lots of electricity, uh, runs all the, so you have bright lights in your home and all your appliances and shop tools and all that sort of thing. And <coughs> at this point, I just kind of like to point out, if you don't have a mortgage and you don't have rent, and you pay very little for food because you're growing so much, and you don't have an electric bill, and you don't have a water bill, and a sewer bill, and you stay off the internet most of the time, and all of that, you don't have to make much money. When it's set up, that's the whole point. The problem for most people is getting from a city lifestyle, getting the infrastructure built, and in that time, they give up before all your expenses drop to near zero and then you're home free. But you have to get through that little period and it helps if you can talk to people or work with people in your area, whatever, who have some experience because otherwise you can make a lot of mistakes and those mistakes usually cost you money and you can get discouraged. But otherwise it works, it works really well. Now, this is a part on alpine gardening and we're just gonna do a little bit here and a lot more later. This was last winter in February, and you can see the fountain's almost buried, but it's still running. Do you see it there? Even at 30 below, it keeps running. It will make a lot of icicles, but because it's 40 degrees, it just keeps running. And it's not just for beauty. It's run over the top of all our other water lines and keeps those from freezing. So it has a purpose. And you see the garden fence out there? It's kind of disappearing, too. That's the big outside garden. This is, we have a circle drive, and you remember that nice little green spot? Well, and that's, that's our year-round greenhouse. Doesn't look like a greenhouse, looks like a house, kind of. And the reason is the north side, you don't really want any windows. The only window there is in our classroom. It's on the north side. You, we did everything we could to insulate it so the part inside would stay warm uh, and without any outside power or propane or anything like that, which is a little difficult to do. But on this same day, I took that picture. This is inside. And before you think we're richos and have a pool and all that, we had a real problem when we started trying to build greenhouses in Montana. If they were just a plastic greenhouse, like so many people have, well, first, the snow would crush them. Second, when it's 30 below and there's just that thin barrier, if you have a wood stove and, you, and you're down there every hour on the hour poking wood at it, it might stay above freezing, but I wasn't going to do that all night. And we come back, and it could be 60 or 70 during the day, come back, and it was frozen in the morning. Um, how are you going to have uh, a greenhouse? And a lot of people would say, well, just don't have a greenhouse. Just have a season extender. The problem with that idea is you don't have a way to have food through the winter, fresh food, which this gives us some, greens, through the whole winter, you need a place to start all your plants for your other greenhouses, your outside garden, things like tomatoes and squash and melons and all that sort of stuff. I, we didn't want to be dependent running to a nursery to grow our stuff. 
we grow tons of flowers that we beautify our own place. They cost a lot of money if you just go buy them all. This gives us a place to start all that. And it gives us a place to nourish your soul in the winter because winters are long in Montana. So we had to put thermal mass in there. It's the same principles I talked about the house. Thermal mass heating is wonderful. And you got to throw a lot of stuff in there. And I learned real quick, waters, you got to have a lot of water because water has like three times the, what's called latent heat or the heating storage ability of stone. The rest of it's concrete and stone everywhere. The pools have about 4,000 gallons. I originally put some old 55-gallon drums. It just wasn't enough. Now it's enough. And it's solar heated most of the year. We have a simple homemade solar heater for it. In the winter, for about four months or so, it's supplemented with wood. And we can heat this. But there's no filter in there. Uh, there's no pumps to drain it or anything to get water in it. There's no chemicals. We don't. So you're, you're swimming in pure spring water. It's nice. Um, the far one is smaller and you can heat it more like a hot tub. This one's cooler. Um, but the two together hold heat in that building. So how do you keep the water clean? You keep it clean as if, if you're going to go in it and swim, you take a shower before you go in. But even so, it eventually is going to collect some stuff, especially in the summer when it's a lot warmer. It will start growing algae after weeks. So about every, it depends, two weeks to uh, a month when it's time, we have a gravity drain again. You can see the drain. It's actually right, right underneath that little uh, hump of that little ladder there. You can see a little, that's the drain, and it goes out. And fortunately, our hillside has clay that holds the springs, but on the meadow down below, it's sand and gravel down about three feet. So we just dug a hole, and it just all drains in there. And there's a lot, we're going to go through this in Alpine Garden anymore, but there's a lot of issues. When you drain the water, it might be 70 degrees. That's, that's warm for us, a lot warmer than 40. You don't want to lose that heat. Well, it's heated all the soil under our solarium by dumping the water in there. It's more like 50 or 60. Um, so anyway, but in just a couple months, it looks like that. Now the fig tree is all leafed out. We have a huge fig tree in there. It produces most of the food we actually get, and it's... Some of you down here might have fig trees. They go dormant in the winter. Loses its leaves in December, comes back, starts in February. Uh, it has two crops, hundreds and hundreds of figs. I just, I'm going to talk very briefly how you heat. Again, to heat a greenhouse uh, like this, uh, just a family-sized greenhouse, you must have a basement under part of it. Otherwise, the cold air pools right there at the bottom. So there's a walkway goes down to the right over there, stairs. And on the left, which you can't see over here, I'll show you in a minute, is a, uh, a grate. And there's a tunnel that goes down, allow the cool air to go down. And then all the walls up to where the wood starts and all the ceilings and everything, pools, it's all made out of concrete and stone. Stone was free again. Linda and Rochelle laid all the stone. Fortunately, we have beautiful stone there in Montana, free. Um, so it, it holds heat well. Now, the heater for it is under that over the bridge, that patio there that has a little table and whatnot is actually a ceiling over our little furnace room. And um, I'll show you that in just a minute. We love flowers. If you were desperate someday, all these pots would be full of lettuce and kale and whatever. And some of them are now, uh, but not, not all of them. The fig tree is there on the left there. I love Bird of Paradise. They actually do well in that environment. Um, 
It's two-story, so we could have a big tree in there. And <clears throat> down at the bottom, <clears throat> just above the bridge, right-hand corner, you'll see little figs there in the leaves. And that's what they look like. If you can believe this, you can see the figs come out. There's a leaf stem, and then there's a fig. Every major leaf produces a fig. That's incredible. Now, the last ones don't get mature, and they sit there. They're just a little tiny bulb, and they're the first to come out in the summer or this next spring, and that's why you get two crops. You get an early spring crop and a late summer crop. Uh, hundreds of those figs. Here I am picking figs. It, the tree's so tall and so many, I've put catwalks up in there to walk on. You can see I'm up high, and our cat that stays in there in the winter, she uses those catwalks too. <laughs> we also have a small avocado tree, which produced a little, but it has an awful time setting. I don't think it's hot enough in there. I don't know. We're working on that. Uh, it's one thing. We've, we had an olive tree that grew 15 feet tall, blossomed profusely, never bore one olive. And I went down to California eventually and talked to the olive connoisseurs, and they said, well, some olives are self-pollinating and some aren't. You got the wrong one. And this one's self-pollinating, so, and it's young, but it produces actually pretty well. And we have a small lemon tree, and the most we've gotten is like 15 lemons. Um, we've tried, we've gotten a few oranges and other stuff, but it's not worth the effort uh, here. Um, you're going to talk about what we do in the fall. Oh. Yeah, um, I don't know if you can see it there. Is there a better picture maybe that shows we bring in food from outside and there's grow boxes? And I'll show you in a minute. I put this picture. You notice how the leaves on the fig are starting to yellow? Yeah. This is late in the season. I, this is either late October, early November that this picture is taken and it's already really cold outside. And so we've already brought in, we have green onions, there's kale. You can see there's uh, chard, beets. Um, and we can pick up with those all winter. They don't actually grow and produce a lot, but if you bring enough greens in, it's really good for like salads and things. You can get little new leaves that are just beginning, but it never does a lot of growing until spring, and then it just... But all winter it won't bolt. Yeah. There's not enough light. Yeah. It grows maybe an inch, but you have fresh greens, and you could fill the whole place with fresh greens if you wanted. We just love flowers too, so they're all mixed in. <clears throat> Another thing <coughs> that we use our solarium for is to produce a lot of flowers. We've roughly calculated that if we had to buy the flowers we produce, it costs $2,000 a year. And it allows us to beautify our place naturally and simply. And our daughter uses a lot of them too, and we sell quite a few, which we'll talk about in a minute. And that's inside and outside the front windows there. Chloe's the, is the little guy, and there's girl I should say. There's more pots and it supplements the natural beauty. This is natural lupin that grows in the woods there. Another feature was being able to grow all your own starts. So just on the left side, the, the solarium is actually U-shaped. The U's on the outside are not greenhouse. So it's to protect them from the extreme cold. It's kind of like a double wall. And one of those has a little potting room in it. And you can kind of see into the room a little bit. We've got starts. We first start with geraniums, clipping our mother geranium plants back and potting the ends in a six-inch pot. Uh. And uh, then later we'll get into doing the seeds, and you kind of make a calendar of the order you're going to do all of this for the different places you're going to plant. 
whether it's in the other greenhouse <coughs> outside and we've got a hot house and so you just kind of because it's a juggling match as you can see it's not a huge germination room but anyway this is the first in the process i can see we love country living and we're going to talk so we just got to really speed up yeah. and get through this so we can do some of the others we'll do a little bit more anyway this is heated by that tank you see there we heat it in the pool heater and that's heated to 200 degrees water and it heats that whole little room to 80 degrees and the seeds pop out of the ground otherwise they won't germinate um, and how you heat this place i told you about the heater downstairs there's the heater downstairs it's not real pretty and glamorous but that's underneath that patio it's a homemade hot water heater, uh, 200 gallons, and you can see the cold air comes down. We'll talk about this a lot more later. Uh, how you get firewood. Firewood can take a lot of time, but it doesn't have to. We go out in the woods, we cut them all about the same length, bring them back, put them in a homemade jig. We cut them all, that holds a third of a cord. We can cut a third of a cord in a few minutes. Uh, and then you just put it in a wheelbarrow, comes in the solarium in this case, and down the chute. You stack it. it, this whole solarium only takes about two cords to heat it through the winter because it's mostly solar heated. And we do the same for the house. This is back outside and the building in the back is our orchard greenhouse. <coughs> we'll talk about this, so I'm gonna flip through these real fast. This will all be in alpine gardening. How do you grow fruit in a valley that can get 40 below zero and frost all the time and so on? So this is in the early season and these are peach trees, apricots and so on. They're all in blossom. But above it are these rollers. And this was our solution to how you have an alpine orchard. Uh, I needed something that would hold four feet of snow so it wouldn't crush all the trees and ice and all that sort of stuff in the winter. But I, I needed something that would I could move the whole roof in five minutes because I wasn't going to be up there and take it all apart. This is what it looks like when it's open. And you can ro roll all those closed in five minutes. No, the solarium is in the far back over there. This is the orchard greenhouse. It's another greenhouse. Um, this one has an eight-month season. That has a 12-month season because you want the fruit trees. This is what it looks like when they're closed. They stay closed like this all winter. Snow just builds up, insulates it. Uh, the coldest I've ever seen it up there is 44 below zero. Uh, when it gets down to 30, 40 below, it'll still be 10 to 20 degrees inside with no heat. And that gives them a perfect dormant period for your fruit trees and even down here you can get ice storms and then in the, in the spring you can get rain that and you can get a late frost kills your blossoms in here you can control all that and so you get a crop every year it's wonderful and we'll go into a lot more details later this is what it looks like midsummer you can see the the beams above they're just plain wood beams uh, and underneath the peaches are starting to ripen you can see how you can roll it if you think it's going to be a bad day or a cold night um, that's Reliance peaches, and that's Red Haven peaches. These are Bartlett pears, D'Andrew pears, and um, plums here. Our best crop are apricots. They love it in there. This one tree will produce up to 300 pounds. You saw them all ready to can. There's so many apricots, you got to prop stuff up everywhere. It's wonderful because it's like this is heaven for it. It never gets anything. You don't get any mice and rabbits chewing on it and deer and I got to confess, twice I think in our 35 years, a grizzly bear has broken in there. I'm surprised they don't do it more because you can smell it. I can smell it uh, outside. But they, each time they've only gotten two pieces of fruit before we found them and scared them out. Um, I think the Lord's helping us a little bit too. 
And most of the time, grizzlies aren't interested. It's only in the fall when they're getting desperate because they sense winter's coming on that they really go after stuff. You can see <coughs> we've got, we're preparing the soil that um, in the same greenhouse. We're going to be putting green beans in there. We put tomatoes in the front area underneath uh, the glazing there to the left are raspberries that are just beginning to come out. This is probably this is back about early April. April. Early April. And if you look down the end, <laughs> you see it white outside. Still lots of snow outside. We you wouldn't be able to garden for a long time already. But in just like six weeks, maybe two months, it looks like that in the front. Yeah, you can see the green beans have come up. The tomatoes are up and growing. Not a lot of tomatoes on them yet, uh, but the raspberries are pretty much ready to pick. We have huge raspberries in there. They love it in there. Uh, and they come on really early. And we pick a crop like that for six weeks, probably one or t once or twice a week. And we sell a lot of them because we have a farmer's market. We also eat all we can. And, and then Linda freezes a lot of them. This is back in the kitchen. And we, we can go through this uh, later. Um, tomatoes come on about that same time. We grow only non-hybrid tomatoes. We keep all our own seed. We'll, we'll go through a whole section on how you keep your own seed. We grow four types of tomatoes. And this is our big one. This is Rutgers. It's one of the best ones you can ever. It was in the 1880s. It's non-hybrid. Keep your own seed. And I should just mention here, we'll talk about this in Alpine Gardening. We have virtually no bugs. Why? Because we live in those stupid mountains where it's so cold. Okay? It kills everything. And about all you have is what you bring in. There's hardly any, there's a few people trying fruit trees outside, but we tried that, it doesn't work. Otherwise, the nearest fruit trees that are bearing are like 30 miles away. So once you get rid of the bugs that you bring in, it's good. And that's one of the advantages. And down here, you got lots of warm weather, but you probably got more bugs. So everybody's got their pluses and minuses. This is, we do have to, we don't heat this greenhouse in the winter because we want it to have a dormant period. But in March and October, the shoulder seasons, we can gain two months by having a heater, especially when they're uh, starting to uh, um, blossom or something. This is our stump burner, we call it. Again, it's just a big box. We had welded, weighs 900 pounds, and that's the fuel for it. You wouldn't be dragging that into your house, but we don't waste fuel. A brush, punky wood, soft wood. Stumps, stumps have enormous amount of heat in them. That's what we put in there. And now to the outside garden, but I think it's time for a break again. Not yet. You got 10 minutes. 9.30, right? Yes, 9 that's correct. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll keep going. You may think that we grow all our food in the greenhouse. We don't. We actually grow most of it outside. And this is our outside garden. The rows are 120 feet long. <clears throat> the fence looks kind of like a prison because... Everybody in the North Fork is hungry. The deer, the elk, the moose, the, the bears. We have black bear, grizzly bear, all kinds of rabbit. Everybody wants in. So we had to build a really good fence. Um, in the background is a hot house, and that's our little Texas. We learned that some things don't like to have the things moderated. They want to be 100 degrees and really humid, like melons and squash. That's what we grow there, but we have to roll it down every winter. Otherwise, it's, um, it would be crushed. On the back there, you see our solar collector. It's just simply 5,000 feet of one-inch poly pipe. It's been there for 25 years, I think, now. They told me it only lasts a few years. That's not true. And we run spring water 40 degrees in one end, 
about five months out of the year, and out of the other end comes 90 to 100 degree free water, 1,000 gallons a day of hot water. I mean, it's almost like you got a hot spring. And that a lot of times <coughs> runs through that pool system you saw. That's another reason we don't have to worry about it. It keeps it all clean and flushed. And this is the fence. Uh, this is the second fence we've had. The first one was a bit of a disaster and all rotted away in about 12 years. And you notice the top of it has a roof over it. That solved that problem. And I milled all those top ones to hold the snow. I milled those with a chainsaw. The rest of the poles all came from the local wood, so they were virtually free. Uh, the posts are buried with drain rock so that they won't rot easily, and I had to buy those. Um, inside, we've done a lot with mulching. We used to have a, a weed problem like everybody. And we have a special problem because good plants grow slow in our cold environment. Weeds grow about the same as everybody else. But mulching has solved that problem and keeps the soil so nice and damp. We use everything we can, leaves and grass clippings, weeds. There you can see a big pea crop. Peas are one of the few legumes that will grow outside uh, in a frosty environment. Frost doesn't bother them. So we have lots and lots of peas. And there's onions there as well. We'll talk about that later. Our biggest crop is potatoes. They are not frost hardy. Our solution to that, we have a main line coming from the springs above the house, comes right through the garden. So we have natural pressure there. We have these big rain birds. Any night I think it's going to frost in the summer, I turn them on all night. And the 40 degree water sprays everything and keeps everything from freezing. It's cold in the morning. There's icicles on everything. But the potatoes actually love damp, cold weather. They do fine. Everything else is frost hardy out there, all, all the, the greens. Ice protects the leaves. We do get some strawberries, and we'll talk about that a little later, too. Strawberries grow, grow fine, but they are like a fruit tree. If it frosts when they're in blossom, it kills the blossom. So you have to have a cover or something for those. We get a few raspberries, but it's pathetic how few we get outside compared to inside. But it does give us some, and they don't come on until late in the summer. These are fava beans. It's the other legume that will grow there in our frosty environment. Uh, there, some of you may be familiar with them, but they're a larger bean, more like a lima bean. And then those pods you see there, they're big. Uh, they have kind of a lining in them that almost is like a foam lining that insulates the bean itself. And then the plant will take not a hard freeze, but it takes a good frost and it doesn't kill the plants. So they grow quite well. However, I am still learning how to, how to cook, cook them. them. So if anybody has good uh, <coughs> recipes, I'm open for those. A lot of people in the Middle East grow these. So I in Texas, they would probably grow. I don't know. Maybe you're all familiar with pot. We'd never heard of them. Yeah, they They're frost hardy, though, for those of you who want to cold them, uh, grow them when it's colder. A lot of cabbage and broccoli grow well there all summer because... They like the cold. And just a couple things with how we harvest stuff. These are onions, the keeper onions. <coughs> and you can see the mulch there, and the weeds are trying to grow through, but the season's about over. And so mulch has solved the weed problem. Onions are all hung in the potting room because it's cool and dry there. And we can keep them. And now this is late in the season. For us, that's mid-September. And here's our little grandson helping us dig potatoes. We grow about 800 to 1,000 pounds of potatoes and keep all our own seeds so you don't have to get any. We were told you can't spray them and wash them. They'll all go bad. It's not true. We spray them all off with our spring water and then let them dry in the sun, and then they all go to the root cellar. 
That whole side with boxes there is full of white potatoes, the other side's reds. These actually keep better, but we can keep potatoes all the way through the next summer into August until we get new potatoes. And of course, they can't be in the sun a long time, but just in the day that it takes them to air dry out, it doesn't hurt them. This is back in that little hothouse in the early season. Those are melons out there and beans and squash. And this is what it looks like a few weeks later. It just fills that place up. But it's only, it's a short season, four months. Um, we get lots of melons, lots of their squash. We'll show a lot of that later. We yeah. also, yeah, go ahead. We run a farmer's market. And of course, what we have available varies from through the summer. But um, it's a good way to get your neighbors to get together. And they enjoy it as a social event. And they just come down and we really enjoy it. They enjoy it. This is mid-season when the tomatoes, cucumbers come on. They love the fruit. They can't believe there's fruit in the North Fork. Um, we've known this one lady, Cheryl, for probably over 30 years. She's a, uh, one of the long-term residents. The lady in the background lives there year-round, even in the winter. Um, but people have really taken to our farmer's market. New potatoes. This is late season with melons and pears and root crops and all that sort of stuff. Um, and they keep asking us, you're going to do that next year, right? And I've got a note from one of the ladies I'll read under Alpine Gardening. It's wonderful, the reaction. Even if you're not making your whole living, if you can have a farmer's market on your own place, uh, I realize if you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to be shipping it all over. But to us, it's way better. Draw the people to your home. It's good for them to see how Adventists live. Everybody knows, I mean, we've had all kinds of, programs with our kids they're in our home otherwise people wonder what are those people like this way they know they're gardeners you know and they like it so it's a good witnessing opportunity and it makes for happy customers the whole net of this whole thing was we wanted to be able to grow a complete food supply that would feed our family if we couldn't buy anything we can do that now. We're selling some of it now, but with the with the local berries, these are huckleberries, which cover the mountains there. Uh, you can pick them. These are in our daughter's backyard and freeze lots of them and all that. Um, we can do that now. Now we'd eat a lot of potatoes and a lot of vegetable soup, and I'd have to survive on fig and apricot smoothies, <laughs> but we would live. And I think that's a good goal for all of God's people. Right now I'm buying mangoes and avocados and peanuts and all that stuff I can't grow but the day will come I don't think we're going to be able to do that and the Lord will work through our country homes to help support us I think. What about walnuts? Or some kind of nut? Not, not outside you know Linda always says in another life with another wife <laughs> I would build another orchard greenhouse and because you could grow nut trees there but we're growing enough right now There's I think yeah I'll talk about that in alpine gardening. Yes, we have. Uh, it, wheat grows well there, but harvesting it and so on is a more of an issue on a small scale. And I'll talk about that then, okay? Can you make bread? Yes. The most we've ever grown in our garden is enough to make 50 loaves, which would do us. That's almost one a week. Uh, and for it's the two of us. For the two. It's wonderful bread. Uh, but like everything else, the chipmunks love it. Okay, so we're dealing anyway, with some issues. This is a uh, 
broccoli plant, we're letting it go to seed the second season uh, so that we can gather seeds off of them. Cool. And, and here's more seeds that we've collected. On the right are the dill, and then in the little bags are lettuce and... And again, in alpine gardening, we have a whole section on how yeah, to save your we'll own seed because we're that. into doing... Because you're not going to be able to buy seed someday either. And you want seed that's acclimatized to your area and you can control it. And so it's very easy to collect seed. I want you to know that we don't have Iowa's topsoil there. <laughs> I took this picture. This is a hole in our garden. I was going to plant something. The top dark soil is all soil that we have built up through composting, pulling rocks out of it for Maybe 30 years. Inside. It's beautiful soil now, but it wasn't. Below it gives you an idea of what we started with. It's it, that's the bottom of what we dealt. We pulled rocks out like that forever, and those went into our road where it was muddy. I mean, every this is a famous phrase of ours: everything you need was on our property. It was just all in the wrong places. <laughs> and beautiful black soil was in our spring bottoms. We brought it to gardens. Rocks were in the garden. We took it to the road, and and we're still doing that. Don't be discouraged if your place is rocky or whatever. You can move it all around. This is how we built the garden. This is our compost pile, one of them. We, we believe in huge compost piles for a home garden because they heat better, especially in our cold climate, and then it's all moved. Um, uh, okay, we're going to have to take another break, and we're almost done with this, and we come back. Let me, let me ask you, for those of you who are here, when we actually get into the detailed stuff, what would you like to hear about the most? You all own your own land, could care about you don't care about how to find good land. I mean, wh what would you want to do first? Start there. Okay, we'll start there, but we'll, 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 we can punch through them a little faster. We'll take another 10 minutes or so, and we'll be back. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.